Welcome to the Noble 8 Podcast, Ape Reality. I'm Tom Barbelay, and it's been an awfully long time since the last podcast. Well, probably not actually that long. However, I've kind of taken a week off to decompress, to recompress in some regard. And I haven't done a Bio to Live in a couple of weeks either. So I thought this would be an ideal time to record an Ape Reality to discuss some of the things that are going on currently, including the XML development, which has been very interesting in terms of debugging. But before I do that, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things that have come up with regards to the Biota Live format. And this is something I've been thinking on quite a bit. In fact, between recording the last podcast and editing it, I did a Biota Live with a few participants and there were issues with Blog Talk Radio. Aside from that, I want to change the Biota Live format slightly. And some of this feedback has come from John Ferguson, who was a listener who emailed me and said that he listens to segments of Biota Live through his daily commute. And from that, I thought I should probably divide Biota Live some way into segments. The other problem I've found with Biota Live is, I don't want to use this term in a derogatory sense, but I do feel that particular topics kind of take over Biota Live, and what I'm more interested in doing is providing a resource for folks that are just starting out or folks that are interested in artificial life in terms of them getting involved with the community, perhaps developing their own projects, or perhaps assisting with the development of existing projects. And in this light, the current Biota Live format isn't really working, so I'm going to try a retune and also inject more of the traditional interviews and chats back into the feed just as a means of kind of breaking up the Biota Live format. To this end I hope to have Brian of Greytham on maybe this weekend, in fact probably the middle of next week by the looks of things for the first Biota chat in a while it'd be nice to talk to him out of the live format. Bruce Damer went to Boston recently and attended a Greytham meeting and that went in the Biota Live feed and some of the feedback he gave to me from that Greytham meeting was in fact very interesting. Some of it was quite candid so I won't necessarily talk about that. But something that came out of it was that they hold the Greytham meeting in a pub, and this ultimately eliminates an age segment of the Artificial Life Curious artificial life early development that interests me in particular and that is the age group from about 15 through to about 21 and obviously holding in the pub particularly in the US the drinking age is 21 so you lose that segment and also in a university town you'd want to really have that segment because that's really the time period that most artificial life developers become passionately involved so that was something I thought about with Bruce and also obviously this EvoGrid project is huge currently in terms of Bruce's thinking and in terms of half a dozen of us that are developing simulation projects that could fit on the Evo grid. My interest in that has come through writing an XML, what I'm calling phenotype interface for the Noble Ape simulation that shows the apes in a XML format that would be easily used by renderers to actually draw realistic looking apes. And in this light, it really is a, a kind of first test of this project. Over the past week, week and a half, I've been doing the development that I've been promising for probably about three weeks in terms of producing this XML phenotype out for the initial discussion point in part of the Evo Grid project with the view that renderers can look at the XML and see is this possible is it something that I could actually render and as a developer I can start actually nothing out what the components of the Evo Grid format might start to look like now people that have been listening to this podcast for a while will be familiar with the Moon Monkeys project and my dissection of Biota at home and I do appreciate this kind of historical legacy associated with starting these Biota collaborative projects and not actually seeing them come to anything 
something. And that's a pretty critical way of saying what I'm thinking in some regard. But in doing the XML out, my interest is creating something which can be a talking point and also something which can be applied as opposed to theory. My main concern with regards to the EvoGrid project is that it just turns into something that is purely theoretical, not actually something which can produce simulations, can bring people into the environment. There's something a little bit introverted associated with the EvoGrid, which I'm a little bit concerned about primarily because my interest with biota is to bring in folks who weren't previously involved with artificial life and also strengthen the internal community. So in doing the strengthening of the internal community, the EvoGrid project will be very beneficial, no doubt. But my interest is to not have a leadership development role with regards to the EvoGrid, be nurturing in some regard to the project, but mainly not to lose focus with regards to the broader goals of biota. And in this regard, the XML phenotype output is something that's been very interesting. Now, some bugs that have been fixed due to the XML phenotype output. I didn't realise when I moved the random number from being part of the simulation, intrinsically part of the environment, to being being dependent, that the effects, particularly with regards to the birth of identical twin noble apes, would be so profound. There are two main bugs that I've been looking at with regards to the existing simulation, and they relate to the creation of identical twins and identical twins that continue to move in an identical fashion, which obviously can't work, and also with regards to factors that affect life expectancy, drowning in particular, and the ape sensitivity to get out of drowning situations but to stay in explorative mode. And this has been very interesting. The other thing that the XML phenotype code has added is this idea of states. Now, they're implicitly within the Noble Ape simulation states. They want to get too hung up with regards to the implicit explicit. Good people like Gerald Young, I get too hung up about this. But implicitly, it meant that there were states that were checked in terms of scalar comparisons, but never actually carried through as pragmatic states. And what I've had to do is actually create explicit states, as these can be represented through the XML output. And in my own thinking, it's kind of changed the way the simulation could be framed. If there were transitional states and the apes could be described in state terms as opposed to the underlying values which produce the states, then the simulation becomes a little bit more high level in some regard. I've always been interested in the movement, and this is in very abstract terms with regards to role-playing games and to a certain extent tabletop war games and these kind of things. There are rule sets which are far more language-based than are probability-based, and I think there may be something analogous in artificial life simulation in in this regard, if it's explored in a particular fashion. But this is really almost a kind of pure math analysis of artificial life simulation, so I probably shouldn't digress too heavily in this podcast with regards to that. But the idea of states have been teased out, this idea of identical twins, the way in which the apes are born has been rewritten quite a bit through this XML experimentation, and now thankfully only mature apes produce offspring, and only female apes produce offspring, which was another interesting bug that I found. It's a circumstances, male apes produced offspring, which, funnily enough, greatly uh, exaggerated the male population and also the number of twins, which was a curious little piece. In general, what it's done is it's reinvigorated my development of the simulation core, particularly with regards to the ape-specific code, and also it's got me thinking in very abstract ways about rewriting aspects of the simulation. And in this regard, I tend to find this with releases and other external things like this XML development in particular, that I'm able to use utilize this as a means of looking at the Noble Ape simulation code and reworking it in a way which is ultimately beneficial for all users. So you may wonder, and this came through in particular with regards to the Moon Monkeys 
development, how can this abstract external force be useful in terms of a generalist user base as well? And I think with regards to the XML output, it has caused me to do a degree of long-term applied debugging, which I may not have done through the simulation file format or other aspects. In the identical twin case, the identical twins were so identical that they were in fact superimposed on each other through their movement and general interaction. So that was all very bad in that regard. So thankfully that bug isn't in there anymore, and thankfully there will be no more male births in the near future. Another interesting thing that came through, and I'm going to give a bit of an editorialization here. There are two things I wanted to editorialize in this podcast, and I'll talk about this initially. I had some correspondence with Gerald de Jung with regards to the ideas of explicit versus implicit with regards to energy functions. And one of the comments that he made was that the whole thing was totally pretend. And it really struck me that this whole artificial life simulation thing, no matter how you do it, is, is quite pretend. The biota life that I'm going to put out on Friday relates to the ideas of epigenetics and sustainability, which I think is very important, looking at the context of multiple intelligent agent simulations and these kind of things. So fundamentally not what Gerald is doing with Darwin at home currently, although I really am looking forward to an environment where his forms interact on, on kind of planes or on a sphere or these kind of things and add a, a beautiful dynamic. Over this period as well, there was a Graytham post relating to things that are similar to Gerald's approach, very rigid fitness functions and the ability of kind of soul creatures that are created in a time cycle and they measure distance. Very Carl Sims in this regard. And what struck me is that this technology has basically been refined but stuck in the same relative space over this period of time. And I think this came through particularly strongly in reviewing the legacy history. But I also want to talk in the Biota Live this week about moving out of that environment into something where the environment is the fitness function or the ability to survive in the environment is the fitness function and what kind of evolution comes from these kind of environments. And also some discussion of epigenetics, which is softer stuff in some regard, but also you can use genetic algorithms to model epigenetics as well. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation. I hope Jeffrey Ventrella will participate. I'm suspecting that either I will jam solo or Jeffrey will come in or we'll have other callers and the whole biota life could go in a completely different direction, but I'm kind of previewing the direction it may occur in. The second thing that's happened, and I'm going to again use a degree of self-censorship in describing this because I don't think it's any of the participants' fault, but I was contacted by the editor of a particular website. It has some connection with the singularity movement, let's put it that way. And what struck me was looking through the people that had posted on this website, on the format of the website, all the participants were people who ultimately could get involved with Biota Conversations. I have this kind of naive wonder sense, which comes through a lot of my interactions with regards to these kind of people, that gee, they'd really want to get involved with Biota, this is something that they want to be kind of collaborative communicators with regards to, and what tends to happen is that this isn't the case. They actually like their very kind of rigid environments and not really interacting with external intellectual forces. They want to publish their particular agendas and not really interact with the rest of the intellectual discourse in some regard. And this is something I've always found really fascinating because ultimately what I'm trying to do is get as many people as possible involved with biota discussions and there are these movements which are part of what would be, I guess, conceived of as popular intellectual movements that don't actually allow that to happen. They don't want that kind of communication, even though to an external observer, to a member of the general public, this is the kind of communication that you'd think that they want. They don't actually want that in a practical setting, and certainly with regards to my correspondence with this individual, I was quite concerned that realistically there was actually nothing that could come out of it. I mean, not only did the individual want complete editorial control with regards to any interviews and things like that, they really just weren't particularly receptive to the whole Biota podcast framework, the way in which it's formed itself, and certainly my discussions with Bruce following this correspondence, I kind of got the sense that really this wasn't going to actually amount to anything. 
nothing. And you know, I always go through these kind of ebbs and flows with regards to immense positivism and then kind of understanding the reality in these kind of circumstances. But it's always a somewhat jarring experience because the kind of unique wonder that people like Bob Mottram have, for example, with regards to these intellectual movements isn't actually represented in the way the movements present themselves and particularly with regards to free and frank communication. Speaking about free and frank communication, I love receiving emails from listeners to Apriality and Biota Live and it kind of gives me a sense of the format and direction that these podcasts will take. I will try to podcast more frequently. The Dick Gordon Book Project, I believe, is finished. I haven't heard any more from him and any of the participants that I've been engaged in dialogues with, so I'm relatively positive about that being finished. So you should be hearing more podcasts from me, tom at noblape.com, the Facebook group associated, noblape.com slash reality. You can see the Facebook group. Comments, feedback, ideas of discussion points for the future, just saying hello, uh, first-time listener, first-time emailer, long-time listener, first-time emailer. All these kind of formats, great to receive email from you folk, and thank you very much for persisting with this podcast, even though podcasts haven't been coming out recently. I will try to do more soon. Thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. Look forward to you tuning into the next podcast.